JC Corcoran Podcast. If you ever let her break your heart Senor Jose works all day Sweating in the red hot sun Row after row Everybody knows what they do when the weekend comes He drinks tequila And she talks dirty in Spanish Him and his sombrero, her and her pretty pink jammies. They dance all night to the mariachi till there ain't nobody left standing. He drinks tequila and she talks dirty in Spanish. Where the music is blaring and the neighbors are staring, that whole day. And Rosie, she's feeling off her silk stockings. You're so naughty, kissing my body. I brought them if we're dead. Ay, 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 Uchikuta, darling, no day. He drinks tequila and she talks dirty in Spanish. Him in his sombrero, her in her pretty pink jammies. They dance all night to the mariachi till there ain't nobody left standing. What they do? <laughs> he drinks tequila and she talks dirty in Spanish. Yeah, he drinks tequila she talks dirty in Spanish, baby. No, I'm just getting warmed up. Happy to see you again. Don't be nervous. Don't be rocky. You're our teenage guest is jockey now. And let me begin by wishing you a beautiful look. Did that voice inside you say, I've heard it all before. It's like deja vu all over. It's Thursday, February 22nd, 2024. Hi, kids. You 
are at jconthewine.com. I played that song because today is National Margarita Day. It's also National Chili Day. I'll get to that a little bit later on. But the margarita thing is pretty amazing because this is uh, people who write songs. I think the most songs have been written about whiskey. But I think tequila is right up there. Maybe that's second. And then beer probably after that. Maybe wine somewhere in the top five or six. We love our margaritas. We love our margaritas. I'm not getting paid to say this, but uh, the best margarita I ever had in St. Louis and still have in St. Louis when I'm in town is at Amigos Cantina. It's got to be the name of Victor there, and he's been making those margaritas for a very, very long time, and they're just sensational. It's um, right down the street from the Dewey's there in Kirkwood, Amigos Cantina. Great margaritas. But then... Mission Taco came along. Mission Taco makes a dynamite margarita. A poll found 76% of Americans like margaritas. 7% of people are like, ugh, keep those people away from me. Margaritas are the third most ordered cocktail worldwide. Uh, That's according to Bacardi's most recent global survey. Top five, by the way, are gin and tonic, mojito, margarita, Bloody Mary, and whiskey and Coke. 67% of us prefer frozen, 3% of Americans don't think it's truly a margarita if it's frozen. Cheeseburgers are the top food we're most likely to order with a frozen margarita. 15% of us only drink margaritas when we're on vacation. Two-thirds of us like a salted rim. Mashed.com ranks the best margarita mixes you can buy and gave the top spot to something called Tre Agave Organic. Some of the others have way too much sugar in them. USA Today did a roundup of the best margarita day deals. If you go in Dave and Buster's, you can get a $5 margarita, also at Chili's. But you know what? There's nothing worse than a bad margarita. And I'd rather pay $10 for a good margarita knowing that I'm going to get a good margarita rather than pay $5 just because it's cheap and sit there sipping the thing going, this is awful. And by the way, if you over imbibe there's a study out this week that well it turns out the english language has 546 different words for being drunk and in great britain they have even more than that in our country oh you know hammered wasted tipsy trashed smashed loaded inebriated and there's you know like i said hundreds more my mother used to say schnockered is that german blood on her side of the family so in great britain Blattered, mullered, pickled, cabbaged, sozzled, fuddled, skunked, squiffed, which actually sounds like something sexual. Hey, you had a date the other night. Did you get squiffed? Stonkered, trousered, beery, belickered, schnookered, and slap happy. Now on to the chili. We like it in a bowl. We like it in a hot dog. That's number two. Fritos chili pie third. French fries over rice. At number five, I didn't know that was a thing. On a baked potato, on garlic bread, on spaghetti. Oh, that's that Cincinnati thing. With mac and cheese on a sloppy joe. Our favorite chili toppings, cheese, crackers, cornbread. 26% like the chili spicy. 10% of a chili recipe they would rather not share. And 14% of Americans say chili tends to make them kind of gassy. Liars, 14% my ass. Crack a window today. They'll be letting the fresh air in in Jupiter, Florida this afternoon. 73 and sunshine in southern Florida. First exhibition game Saturday against Miami. And uh, I I don't know if this game is televised today, is it? Yeah, it sure is. The first official spring training game today is being televised 
Los Angeles at San Diego to play Mike Schultz Padres. And we're wishing Mike Schultz the best. He got so screwed by the Cardinals. Everybody knows it. Blues host the Islanders tonight. The story that won't go away and probably is not going to go away. Travis Kelsey spent $16,000 on Taylor Swift for Valentine's Day. 7000 on roses. He got her a black leather Dior beret for about 1000 bucks. He spent $5,100 on an emerald green Bottega Veneta medium Andiamo bag, whatever the hell that is. $1,100 on a wide-brimmed straw hat from Celine Trion. Oh, she's very good. And a Hermes scarf, $1,300. A source says, quote, he wanted to show her how much he cares about her and the upcoming months to come as they will travel together all over the world, end quote. He arrived in Sydney, Australia yesterday, private jet, joining her on the remainder of her tour. Adam Wainwright, his new album drops tomorrow. He's going to perform at the Grand Ole Opry on March 9th. And it was 44 years ago today. Let me tell you the story here. So <laughs> I was working at a radio station in Grand, Grand Rapids, Michigan. It was an AM station, and we did a lot of sports on that station. And one of the sports we had was the Grand Rapids Owls of the International Hockey League. I think there were teams in Muskegon, Fort Wayne, Columbus, Flint, you know, places like that, places where they could travel by bus for the most part because this was not a rich league. This was minor leagues all the way. When we first started airing the games, the league still allowed stick fights. So in other words, two guys would drop the gloves and instead of punching one another, they would actually start whacking each other with the sticks. About a year into my time there, they finally came along and said, uh, I don't think we're going to ever be taken seriously as a sports league if we allow the players to beat on each other with their with their hockey sticks. So let's get rid of that. And a lot of people, by the way, in Grand Rapids were very disappointed by that, just to show you the crowd that was hanging out there. So, uh, But anyhow, I was the producer of the games and we had a guy that we had hired fresh out of college by the name of Pat Foley, who went on to be the voice of the Chicago Blackhawks for about 30 years. He's in the Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto. And we hired him fresh out of college. He was like 22 or 23. And uh, he did the play-by-play, and he was great even then. And I would produce the games, meaning I would run the controls. And then between periods, we were the first uh, station like that to ever run highlights between periods so he'd say okay then at 15 minutes into the first period blah blah was john flesh with the score and then i would have the cassette queued up and i would hit the button and it would play the highlight and we sounded like a real professional operation so it was on this date 44 years ago in 1980 that i'm sitting there in the gondola with pat foley and he's doing a game and the word comes down that the United States beat the Soviet Union in hockey 4-3 to in the 13th Winter Olympics in Lake Placid, New York. And people got very, very excited. I don't think most people even believed it. And then when it started to sort of buzz through the crowd, there was a real reaction. And then everybody went home to watch the news because they wanted to see, well, how did we do it? By the way, that role of Herb Brooks performed by Kurt Russell Wow, was he good. Wow, was he good. 
I mean, that was uh, sort of like your run-of-the-mill made-for-TV movie, but the combination of Kurt Russell's performance and also the performances of quite a few other people in that thing, and also the hockey was believable because the actors they hired to play the players were actual hockey players, which is normally a bad idea, but you can't fake hockey in a movie. You know, if you're an actor, you can't go out there and pretend you're playing hockey if you don't really skate well. So they had the presence of mind to say, all right, let's hire actors for these roles, for these kids, Jim Craig and everybody else, Mike Arruzzioni. But we're going to be holding the auditions in a nice skating rink, and if you can't skate, don't even bother showing up because we're going to see it. We're going to say, why'd you bother coming? We told you you got to be able to skate. But all that happening on this date 44 years ago today. I don't remember what year this was. It was sometime in the late 90s, maybe 97, 98, somewhere in there. And Eric Mink was doing an interview with uh, David Letterman. And in the course of the conversation, David Letterman says something about, I think Eric asked him, you know, do you ever think about retiring? And Letterman says, and again, keep in mind, this is, I believe, 1998, 99, probably 98. And, um, and he says, well, you know, I've got two years left on this contract. And when that's over, that yeah, that might be enough. So Eric takes that story back to the New York Daily News, and they're like, fuck, that's a headline, dude. That's a headline. Dave saying he's going to retire in two years? So the paper comes out the next day, and it's a giant headline. Well, Dave did not have a good reaction to that, and he started calling Eric. <laughs> he didn't call him a liar, but he said, ah, it's a load. I still remember those were his exact words, it's a load. And he started backpedaling. I think he was embarrassed to realize what he had said and how he had said it. Like I said, really, really backpedaling. Eric, of course, has the tape of the conversation. He's like, if anybody wants to listen to it, you can hear it. I mean, I'm telling you, there's the quote in the paper. It's exactly what he said. Well, Dave ended up staying on the show. As a matter of fact, I believe he worked for, what, another 12 years after that? So the reason I bring that up is because Jimmy Kimmel is saying the exact same thing. Now, Kimmel almost quit a couple of years ago because the network came to him and they said, look, you're blowing off half the potential audience every night by doing all this Trump stuff. So we would like you to not do the Trump jokes anymore. And Jimmy Kimmel reportedly told ABC, fine, then get somebody else. And the network guys were like, ah, da, 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 da. oh, all right, you can say you can do whatever you want. Well, now, Jimmy Kimmel was interviewed the other day, and he said, I have a little more than two years left on my contract. That seems pretty good. That seems like enough. And, quote, so now, will Kimmel do the exact same thing that Dave did? Is Kimmel bluffing? Is that like a negotiating thing? Or does he mean it? Or is he just a little loose with the words? I'm just guessing there's going to be aftermath. There's going to be fallout from that statement about Christina Aguilera. I have gone up and down on her, so to speak. There have been times where I have enjoyed her singing and other times where I have not. And if you're like, JC, you're listening to Christina Aguilera? Well, this is when my daughters were younger. Again, 90s. And Christina Aguilera is a really, really big thing. And so if you listen to some of this stuff long enough, you'll end up liking some of it. It's just pop music. It's harmless, you know? It's not like I'm going to go out and buy it. I'm just saying that when I hear it, I don't, you know, wretch. So she's offering a two-night Airbnb in Vegas that includes a meet-and-greet, VIP tickets to her residency show, and this is the reason I'm reading this. They're also including toys from her sexual wellness brand, 
which is called Playground, presumably still in the packaging. I'm laughing at this flap over Beyonce, who has suddenly decided she would like to also conquer the country music world. So she puts out a country music album, and not everybody has had a particularly good reaction to it, including a lot of the radio stations that are like, fuck you, you're, what are you, world dominance, what are you going to do next? Gregorian chant and try to corner the market on that music too? Fuck off. Well, now the mother has come along and said, hey, we used to go to rodeos every year when we lived in Texas. That makes us country. Casey Musgrave is going to be the musical guest on Saturday Night Live on March 9th. Again, country music. But the reason I bring it up, she is easy on the eyes. And you may recall that, uh, I think it was, yeah, October of 21, she performed a song called Justified. She was wearing nothing except cowboy boots. This was on network TV. Now, of course, everything was strategically placed. I'm guessing the guys in the band behind her had a pretty good evening. (laughs) Biden's dog. Biden's dog. According to internal Secret Service reports, Biden's dog commander has had 24 biting incidents, not including the times he's bitten the staff. Anybody got Caesar Milan's phone number? Bring Caesar in. From our legal department... American Idol producer Nigel Lithgow facing another sexual assault lawsuit. A sexual assault lawsuit against Steven Tyler Aerosmith has been dismissed. And Diddy is denying the allegations of a woman who says she was gang raped in 2003 when she was 17. And ABC facing a religious discrimination lawsuit for firing two general hospital staffers who refused to get the COVID-19 vaccine. And are you keeping track of this Eagles story? Basically, what it boils down to is this. Back before we had computers, we're talking 1970s here, and somebody had a burst of creative energy, and so they'd sit down on the tour bus or something and pull out a legal pad and a pen and start scribbling down words for ideas for songs, sometimes writing out the lyrics for the entire song. You know, we've seen some of the Beatles stuff on display at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland, if you've been lucky enough to go there. There have been other displays. It's really cool to look at. And the pages are all, you know, crumpled and dog-eared and ripped and torn and dirty and everything like that. But it's still amazing to think that, you know, somebody, one of your favorite rock and roll stars, sat there and scribbled those words out to a song that became something iconic. Well, we're not exactly sure how it happened, but about, I don't know, I think it was about a half a dozen handwritten lyrics on legal pads of songs like Life in the Fast Lane, New Kid in Town, Hotel California, somehow these things ended up out of the hands of the members of the band and in the hands of some other people. One guy who was allegedly writing a documentary at some point. Anyhow, life was just sort of going on for the last four decades and guys in the band probably didn't even remember any of this stuff. Until it started popping up online and in auctions and in auction houses and people are paying thousands of dollars for these documents, these handwritten lyrics by people like Glenn Fry and Don Henley. And Don Henley, who has had more than his share of legal issues over the years, has stepped forward, filed a lawsuit saying, you can't sell something that isn't your yours. This is stolen property. This belongs to me, or at the absolute minimum, it belongs to the band. 
You don't have any rights to it, and you can't sell it. And if you did sell it, we want the money back. Where are these things? Well, lo and behold, one of the documents, one of the handwritten songs, ends up at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland. And actually not part of the display, but the curator at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland bought one of the pages for 800 and, what is it? For, what did it say? $8,500. $8,500. I think it was the lyrics to Life in the Fast Lane. So this thing is now in the courts, and I believe the trial started yesterday. It'll continue today, and it's a real interesting case because you start getting into all sorts of legal issues, and depending on what state you're talking about or anything like that, because the way the laws are written are not always clear about stuff like this. And also you have to prove, in some cases, criminal intent. You have to prove, one side has to prove to the other, that these guys knew the stuff was stolen and thus selling stolen material that gets you in a lot of trouble but they have to prove that and you got 40 years that have passed in that time and people get fuzzy memories and it's hard to document something like that so i don't know what's going to happen but like i said earlier and as you already know the eagles and especially don henley have had more than their share of legal issues <laughs> In legal news, the Eagles, including their leader Don Headley, are suing a Mexican hotel called Hotel California in federal court, saying that the hotel has been using the name to suggest a connection with the band for financial gain. For you youngsters out there, Hotel California was one of the Eagles' best-selling albums. Look for it in the tape deck of your stepdad's Camaro. On a dark desert highway. And... This lawsuit against the Hotel California is bad news for other businesses trying to profit off the Eagles, like the landscaping service, Rake It to the Limit, <laughs> the wedding formal shop, Dresperado, and perhaps the most flagrant ripoff of all, the Little League Baseball Supply Store, The Eagles' Greatest Myths, Volume 2. Thank you, Mr. Colbert. The uh, big story here today is affecting a big chunk of the country, and as the West Coast starts to wake up, and like a lot of people, the first thing you do is grab your cell phone and check to see if you got any messages and just sort of see what happened in the world overnight. If anything's going on today, check the weather in some cases, you know, you just grab that cell phone. Well, all over the country today, people are grabbing their cell phones and finding nothing. This uh, started right at dawn here today, and we don't know if this was just an accidental thing, you know, like computers go berserk sometimes. Or if there was a bad actor involved, like somebody in China, all you know is this, especially hard hit with this whole thing is AT&T. And that means you pick up your phone with AT&T service, and in some cases you're getting zero bars. And it's not just a couple of people, it is widespread. And it's not just limited to AT&T, but they seem to be the ones hardest hit by this whole thing. And it's also sort of random. There were two reporters on Channel 4 this morning standing two feet apart from one another. One had fine cell service, and the other one had zero bars. It has hit me where I am, and here's the explanation I got from my tech guy. Every network has occasional downtime, not always part of a mass outage. Originally, customers at AT&T, TMO, and Verizon were reporting down, but... It was mostly at AT&T customers trying to access customers on other networks. If there is an attack, and there always is, the attack could have moved on to other targets. I've had the stream up, 
most of the morning, and it is not dropped for me. I think the stream is down. I always check for multiple sources, my own, and also accessing through VPNs and proxy servers. The fact that networks can do what they do is simply amazing that it even works at all. That computers work at all is still insane. Streaming is more demanding because it needs a consistent connection. You don't need all that for websites and email. If that made sense to you, congratulations. You're better at this than I am. It was on this day in 1985 that I got a call from Channel 9. Now, we were doing the morning zoo on Keishi at that time, and they said, hey, look, you know, we know that your crowd appears to be the Leave it to Beaver crowd. <laughs> I said, that's the nicest thing anybody's ever said to me. Uh, and they said, we're going to start running Leave it to Beaver episodes at 7 o'clock every night on Channel 9. We would like you to come down to Channel 9 and maybe record a little something that would draw your massive morning audience over there in the morning zoo into these Leave it to Beaver shows on Channel 9. And I said, sure. So I wrote this thing called Rappin' Beaver. And I put a giant boom box on my shoulder and I wore a leather jacket. And I did this, this whole thing, Rappin' Beaver. Something, 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 he's a nice fellow, blah, 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 Larry Mondello. You know, just dumb stuff about the show. Well, it got a tremendous response. So about two years later, they were doing, I think they were, uh, yeah, they were doing the uh, comic relief thing. Comic relief, Billy Crystal, Whoopi Goldberg, and Robin Williams. And they said, we're going to uh, be spearheading this whole thing here on Channel 9. Would you guys, and in this case, it was everybody from the show, would you like to come down and be on the air live and answer some phone calls and maybe screw around a little bit. We were like, absolutely. So on a Saturday night, we could have been doing anything else on a Saturday night. On a Saturday night, we go over there and we start performing, doing our stupid commentary and jokes and you know, talking to people on the phone and just saying absurd things. And at one point, one of the other people on the show, your first guest would probably be right, has a copy of one of the tabloid newspapers like The Inquirer or something. And there was a picture of, I think it was, yeah, it was a midget. I don't think we call them midgets anymore. I don't even think we call them little people anymore. It seems to change every three or four years. And you say little people and people go, oh, like, what? We don't say little people. Go, we did the last time I heard it. Well, we don't say that anymore. Now we call them and then they give you the new term. So he showed this picture on camera and we were having sort of a, long-running feud with this guy who was on K-Gold at the time. It was an AM oldies station. The guy's name was Gary Records Brown. And Gary used to make shit up. He would say, you know, he invented something or invented a saying or was the first person to do this or that or whatever. And even the name Gary Records Brown was stolen from a guy in Chicago, John Records Landecker. And he would say, Records truly is my middle name. It really was his middle name. And he didn't change it or anything like that. It was like his mother's maiden name or something like that. If you looked at his fucking birth certificate, it said John Records Landecker. It was his legal name. Well, Gary Records Brown has no claim to it. He just stole the idea from him. And, and he just made things up. And if I was on 1380 AM playing oldies, I think I would too to try to get anybody to listen. So we had had a long-running feud with this guy. So my partner on the show shows this picture of the midget and mentions his name as if to say, this is uh, Gary Records Brown here because Gary was not a tall man. Gary Records Brown either sees it or hears about it and threatens to sue Channel 9, at which point we were told that we were 
officially and forever banned from ever appearing on Channel 9 again. And of course, my reaction was, I didn't do anything. What is this, guilt through association? And there were some other instances in the next couple of years where we thought that Channel 9 would have been an excellent partner for something that we were doing, and we approached them, and they wouldn't give us the time of day. As far as I know, the ban (laughs) is still in place. And again, I didn't do shit. It was on this date in 2004, The Passion of the Christ opened up across the country. Mel Gibson is a very, very strange man. Coming up on Saturday, it is the anniversary of my conversation in Los Angeles with one Julianne Moore, better known as, well, for a brief time, Mrs. Bruce Springsteen. Remember, Bruce married her. I don't think the marriage lasted, what, two years? Maybe? And this was for a movie called Skin Deep. It was a Blake Edwards movie. The guy who did the Pink Panther movies, and she was in it. John Ritter was in it. I got to interview John Ritter. But I also got to interview Julianne Moore. Before we went in, they they told everybody, do not ask questions about her former husband, Bruce Springsteen. Because they had just split up like in the last, I don't know, eight, nine months. So I go in there. When somebody tells me not to do something, it just makes me want to do it more. And I've also found that when they tell you that, if you can sort of ask the question in a way that sort of backs in. In other words, you don't say, Julianne the fuck happened with you and the boss you can't do something like that that gets you nowhere but you can say stuff like you know your name has been dragged through the mud recently and i just don't know if there's anything you want to say to your fans out there never mentioned bruce springsteen but clearly i was making reference to the fact that people demonized her oh my god you did the boss wrong and people were saying nasty things about her and I have found that people in situations like that really enjoy the opportunity to be able to talk and to be able to defend themselves or at least explain what happened. Or in her case, just say, look, she said, people are going to write what they're going to write. None of these people have any idea what they're talking about. It doesn't bother me. And she was cool with it. On Sunday, it's the anniversary back in 2011 of Randy Newman performing at the Sheldon. That was a great show. And he's really funny, by the way, in between the songs. He tells these stories, and he is a riot. And this one goes way back, 1979. That's older than the hockey thing. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! 1979. And this was my lesson in broadcasting, one of many. And that is, you never know who's listening. Always do the best job you can because you never know who's listening. And in this particular case, I got off the air on my morning show in Grand Rapids in 1979, February 22nd, and the phone rings. Hi, my name is Tom Daniels. I'm like, hi, Tom. He goes, I'm the program director of WLPX in Milwaukee, and we've heard about you. And I flew in over the weekend, and I've been listening to your show for the last couple of mornings. And we would like to know if you would be interested in moving to Milwaukee to work at WLPX. Why don't we go meet for coffee or something like that in an hour and we can talk about it. And in fact, that's exactly what I did. I took the job in Milwaukee. But as you're driving along, you're thinking to yourself, holy shit, what did I say this morning? Was I any good? I don't remember. Because you have good days and bad days. It's like anything else, any other job. Some days you're like, I'm just smoking in here. And other times you're like, that wasn't good enough to be on the air in Boise, as my old pal Larry Lujak used to say. But that's how I ended up in Wisconsin. Unfortunately, the station there was very similar to a station I had worked at in Michigan 
a couple of years prior where everybody at the station had all gone to school together and they all knew one another for years and they all out together. Here comes this asshole in from Grand Rapids and they were like, not particularly friendly or welcoming me to the fold. And I didn't last long there. I only lasted there a couple of months and I booked out. I just hated it there. We have birthdays today, a lady, and I will use that term now because she's almost 50. Drew Barrymore, 49, kissed me on the hand after our interview back in the day. Jerry Ryan from Star Trek Voyager, and she's from, I think she's from downstate Illinois. She was the one who was married to the guy who wanted her to get involved in sex shows and group sex and sex clubs. And she's like, do you know that I have an acting career? I'm a celebrity. People recognize me. I'm on TV. And you want me to jeopardize all of that by going to a sex club with you? Are you fucking? She's married to this guy, by the way. And they split up right after that. She still looks good at 56. Rachel Dratch, formerly of Saturday Night Live, 58. Kyle McLaughlin from Twin Peaks, 65. Dr. J, 74. Steve Irwin, one of the better interviews we've ever had on the air, the Crocodile Hunter, was born on this date in 62, died in 06. 145 years ago today, 1879, a guy by the name of Frank Winfield Woolworth opened some five and dime stores in Utica, New York. Now, if you're under the age of 40, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about, but those of us seasoned veterans will remember that. And in fact, when I was in college for two years, I worked at a Woolworths warehouse. Oh, my God. Talk about a job I hated. It was this massive, massive distribution center, and we all stood around at the bottom of this conveyor belt that was at like a 45-degree angle down, and all of a sudden, you'd hear this, which meant, here come the boxes, and hundreds of boxes of Woolworths stuff, many of them very large We'll just come down this chute, and you have to grab them as fast as you could and put them on these giant hand trucks. And when the hand truck was full, whoever loaded the last box would wheel it down to the loading dock, put it on the truck, and the truck would take off. And so I did that for two summers. Good money, bad experience. And speaking of experiences, okay, so remember the D.L. Hughley had a show back in the, I guess, guess it was early 90s i'm gonna say yeah it was early early in mid 90s d.l hughley show and one of the reasons people liked it and the critics adored it because it sort of knocked down a lot of the racist stuff in this country and they dealt with racial themes in a uh, sort of a mature logical fashion and people were like this show is great this is exactly what this country needs why hasn't anybody done this already so we get a call from the uh, publicity department. They're like, look, uh, D.L. Hughley is going to be doing some satellite radio interviews. Would you like one? And we're like, hell yeah. Guy's got one of the hottest shows in TV. Sure, line them up. So the thing was scheduled for like 7.45 in the morning. At about 7.30, we get a call from the studio in New York where he is. And they say, uh, D.L. Hughley is not going to be available to you today. And we're like, really? Why? Are you ready? This woman said, well, he's decided he's only going to talk to black radio stations. Holy shit. We said it for obvious reasons. 
Holy shit. And George Washington was born on this date in 1732. Do you realize that if he were alive today, he would be younger than the two candidates we currently have? Let that roll around in your head all weekend, because that's it for the J.C. Corcoran podcast for Thursday, February 22nd, 2024. We are here Monday through Thursday at 11 a.m., absolutely free, with the J.C. Corcoran podcast here at jconthelinecom You can email me, jc at jconthelinecom Facebook, The Showgram with J.C. Corcoran. And if you get a chance to tell one of your friends or coworkers or just somebody you know, that uh, we are here doing this every weekday morning at 11 o'clock. That would sure help out. Always does. Have a great weekend. We'll be back on K-Wolf tomorrow morning at 101.5 in St. Louis and 101.7 out west and online at kwolf.com. In the meantime, we've beaten this one to death. Have a good one. See you later. Bye. The J.C. Corcoran Podcast.